Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. Thanks for joining us in the Sandbox today. Uh, we are really excited. we got a lot of stuff coming up. Just, yeah. o- just over a month from now, we are going to be headed down to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's fun and terrifying all at once. I mean, just it's, it's just a month from now. I know. We've been talking about this for a while, and we were just, just before we came in here to, to record, it was... Oh my goodness, we have it's, a lot of work to it's do. It's coming. But, but Richard Rohr, uh, Father Richard Rohr in Albuquerque, uh, can't wait to uh, connect with him and, and see, uh, learn a little bit more about his work at the Center for Action and Contemplation. Yeah, we're actually going to start off uh, that morning with an with a uh, meditation with him, and then we'll join him for an interview and then start making our way over to Houston, where we'll be for the second half of the week. Yeah, we're going to be there with, what, 35,000 high school students and leaders, and we're going to be doing some live podcasting while we're there and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, it should be really great. There's a lot of, a lot of fun people that'll be uh, down there, and we hope to connect with some uh, people who are doing some great work and share some of their stories with you. And also, if you're down there, uh, come connect with us. Say hi. Come stop by. We're literally going to have sandboxes for you to come and play with. So come play in our sandbox. There you go. With that, welcome to episode 64. Where are you from? Welcome to the Sandbox. So Chris, have you ever been asked the question, where are you from? I have. You know, I don't I don't ask get asked that a lot, but mm-hmm. um I guess if I had to answer it, I'd probably say I mean right now I'd probably say Minnesota. I definitely depending on who I'm talking to, we'll say Wisconsin and what they're asking too. You know, sometimes they're asking where are you from right now and where were you from and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Kind of all that trying to figure out because of your nasally Wisconsin accent, where you're really from. You you got it. I mean, have you ever asked a a military brat where they're from? Yeah. They have some pretty interesting answers. You know, the ones that I've known over the years, they pretty much hate it. They kind of roll their eyes and say, for better or worse, it's complicated. And it's a difficult question for me sometimes too, because like you, I would answer I'm from Rochester, Minnesota, and I've been there, you know, from here for for a while now. But I think of myself as a cheesehead from Wisconsin, and because that's where I grew up. But I was also I was born in Michigan. I've lived in Colorado, I've lived in Chicago, Washington D.C., New York, and that's just geographical. Mm -hmm. Where I'm from has a lot to do with my community of family and friends and and, and a whole lot more. Yeah. When you can really have the time to dig into it, that's, I think, one of the cool things about this question. You can can answer it in all sorts of ways. Um, One way of thinking about the question, it could actually be something along the lines of like, where are your roots? Mm -hmm. You know, when you come back to kind of the core of yourself, how do you think about where you're from? And there's really a whole lot more to this question than at first meets the eye. Absolutely. I mean, part of it does have to do with our families of origin. So when my wife and I started having kids and we were just getting ready to put the nursery in and and get all ready for our our first child to arrive, we were pretty sure that our children would have our absolute worst attributes combined. It would be like the worst cocktail of all times. They, they would have my skin allergies and bad back and my impatience. And, and they would have my wife's... Um, Careful. Are we recording right now? <laughs> my wife has no bad attributes. None. She is absolutely perfect. Killed it. Did I do good? You did That's it. That's good? All right, good. Yeah. And you, <laughs> you know what I mean. We are convinced, we were absolutely convinced that our kids would be monsters of our bad habits, conditions, and all of our, 
our idiosyncrasies. Yeah, and that definitely happens. I mean, I, every now and then, and thankfully it doesn't happen as often, although I hear it gets worse, I'll say something and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, that that was my mom. That right. was my dad. And it's it, people talk about this. And yeah. then when you start actually experiencing it. Right. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's not awesome. <laughs> and that's even for the good stuff, the good attributes that they gave you. <laughs> yeah. and when it's the other stuff, it's, uh, it's a mess. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there was one, one time my oldest daughter, she was maybe, what, four years old, and she was trying to put on her shoes, and she's sitting on the steps, and for whatever reason, she was struggling to get her, her shoes on her feet, and then she takes her shoe, and she slams it down on the floor and says, and I do quote, damn it, frick. <laughs> I looked at my wife, she looked at me, and this time, she was busted, but I got to admit, it could have just as easily been me. The point is that, yes, we will absolutely pass along our bad habits, but we'll also pass along the good stuff. Forgiveness and grace when you mess up, love when it all goes south, and I might pass along my skin allergies. I might just also pass along my chiseled jawline and impeccable rhythm and dance skills too. You know, it's a really good thing this is a podcast. Oh, you know, it's all out there on YouTube. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put that in the show notes. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, things things like our family, our religious traditions, even in a lot of ways, the town where we grew up, it, can, it really can have a significant impact on the way we think or the things we do. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say, you know, that's just in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's certainly some truth to that. But I, I also think that in a lot of ways, our past actually does continue to drive our decisions and our insights. Um, when I think about my family of origin, um, you know, one of the things that, that shaped me pretty significantly was growing up with my sister. So I'm the oldest of three. My sister is the middle child. Um, and she grew up with with a handful of physical and learning disabilities that made life pretty tough for her in lots of ways. And at times has been really challenging for our whole family. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's doing great now. She, you know, she lives near Minneapolis in an apartment with a friend. Um, and while she still has help from advisors and my parents and others, you know, she's more or less, more or less able to live on her own, mm. which is really good. Yeah. Um, but when she was younger, she really needed the help of a lot of different people to be successful, both at home and in school. And I remember it seemed like, you know, my parents were just always looking for the right people to help with some of her disabilities. Um, they were always looking for the right school with, you know, the right resources and enough resources to actually get her the help she need. Um, and one of those things um, that she really needed was more individual attention. And so at one point, just because of the class size, she ended up at one of the religious schools in our hometown. Mm-hmm. You know, the school is really, really great with that individual attention. And in a lot of ways, uh, my sister had the helps that she really needed to keep learning and growing. You know, she had a lot yeah. of that, you know, small class size and teacher who was willing to go, you know, and help her with extra things and all that sort of stuff. But um, in my mind, it really had a dark side though, too. You know, I, I remember that she wasn't allowed to participate in certain activities because she wasn't a church member. Uh, my family went to the church across town and so were things mm-hmm. that she couldn't do. Um, and so in in other words, even though she was a student there, it was kind of like she wasn't the right kind of Christian to participate. Um, and so in my memory, when it came for her, came time for her to get confirmed, there was a lot of debate kind of even among my family about, you know, where it should happen. Um, from the perspective of the school, it was this idea that it didn't really count if she got confirmed at our church rather than the school. Um, and this kind of stuff just kind of happened frequently as, as she was there. But the thing that really got me in all of this was 
one week at our church during communion, um, you know, one of the things for my sister is that everything, especially when she was younger, she took everything very, very literally. And the school that she went to was part of a tradition that only allows church members to take communion. And someone had said that the the school and the attached church had told her that those were the only places where those students should participate in communion. So when we got to our own church the next week, my sister was super upset and she didn't think she should be able to join my family. Um, I just mm-hmm. remember it was a really tough morning. You know, my mom was trying to assure her it was okay. You know, all of us was just kind of, we're trying to say, hey, come join us. It's okay, you know, it's okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's an okay thing for us to do. Um, but she was really struggling with that um, and visibly upset. But it was that belief that really not everyone was welcome that made my sister upset in kind of being with her own family. And I decided really, really quickly that I just, I wanted no part of that sort of religious belief. Yeah. You know, when we separate into our, our respective tribes and, and start defending the, the gateway to that, it can mm-hmm. create a lot of pain. Yeah. Those traditions and, and kind of ways of understanding those, those types of things, cause they're held so closely mm-hmm. can put up a lot of barriers. Um, and I don't, I don't think they were bad people. I mean that, you know, there's a good history with my family in that church. That church is where my, where my dad's family had been members for a long time. My grandma worked there, you know, in the time that my sister was there, they really did provide all sorts of good things that she needed. And she grew a ton while she was there. Yeah. It's not, it's not all or it's, it's not all or nothing. Exactly. Exactly. But I do think that, you know, just their understanding of what it means to be a part of a community was just Mm -hmm. flat out wrong. I mean, I don't agree with that. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's what has shaped my understanding of what a faith community should be kind of by seeing what it was that I didn't want. Um, you know, I think that's helped me see that I think a community, uh, especially a community of faith should be one where everyone finds a, pl- a place where everyone is affirmed as valuable and, you know, where we all grow together. Um, it's a big part of the reason I think that I do the work that I do. Sure. Sure. And, um, and that's become a core value for you. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean. Um, and it's shaped my, perspective way beyond, you know, religious circles and just, just work. Um, you know, my sister and her experience has really helped me to see the, to see and value people who aren't being seen and valued. Um, you know, I saw how much effort it took just for my sister to make it through school and to be able to learn how to live on her own, even with the help of all of us. Um, and so many people don't get that kind of support. Um, and so sure I miss things all the time. Yeah. I think we all do, but, um, in general, I think that helped, lead to my belief that it's our job, particularly as people of faith, to care for those who are ignored or considered less than others for whatever reason. Yeah, you know, and and there's this experience that we have in our lives that it's the positive things that we bring forward, but it's also the negative stuff that helps us to learn and, and grow too. You could have just as easily said, look, church sucks and I'm out. Mm-hmm. But you didn't let that define you. Yeah. You took that experience and you turned it into something better. Absolutely. Um, you know, and there are plenty of times where it where it makes sense to leave a situation. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. things are damaging or abusive, uh, and the best thing to do is to get out. Absolutely. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there are times where the problem isn't where we are. It's that we just kind of need to work through it. Yeah. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine who escaped Minnesota winter just this past winter and vacationed for a week in Hawaii. That sounds he, nice. Yeah. He, you know, he absolutely loved it. And, and, and who wouldn't? Unless maybe you're sitting on the fault line of the volcano that's happening. Yeah, right maybe now. maybe in a few weeks, maybe exactly. not now. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Dave, and I actually I ran into him at the airport of all places. He said, Dave, I was ready to to look at real estate and move on down there. And I said, you know, I bet. And I said, but the problem is if you move to Hawaii, 
you'd still be there. <laughs> he laughed and he called me a buzzkill and then and we changed the topic. But the truth of it all is, I'm a firm believer in the idea that wherever you go, there you are. Some of our baggage doesn't need a moving truck. We can't check some of our baggage on the airline. We carry our stuff, our junk, our troubles with us wherever we go. And without some kind of intentionality, we can move a thousand miles away, take a new job, meet some new friends, and be dogged by the exact same problems. You know, I have that impulse a lot too. I love traveling to new places and I can imagine myself when I go visit living in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that that isn't enough on its own to fix a lot of our struggles. Um, it makes me think one of my, my favorite bands, the Avett Brothers, they have a song that I think talks about this idea a little bit. Um, and they sing this, uh, disappear from your hometown, go and find the people that you know, show them all your good parts, leave town when the bad ones start to show. The weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. And I, I think it's normal to occasionally want a new start and to just kind of get up and leave. But as long as the situation isn't harmful, I think actually working through the challenge can bring us a much better solution. Yeah, you know, and all of this is actually bringing me back to one of my favorite characters in all of pop culture. You know the movie Napoleon Dynamite? I love that movie. Oh my god, It's really good. I think people either love it or they hate it. Yep. It, 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 there's no, there's no middle ground here. Absolutely. But my favorite character is, is Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico. So Uncle Rico, I mean, he's this guy, what is he, in his late 30s, maybe he's 40. I, sure. I yeah. don't know. And he shows up. Too old. He shows, well, whatever. <laughs> he shows up in his van, at this giant van. I think he lives out of it, but he goes to help out uh, his nephews. And he was the football star from like 22, 23 years prior. Yep. And he's <laughs> he sets up a video camera and just shows himself trying to relive the glory <laughs> days throwing a football. Now, he's the guy that I always kind of feel bad for. He's trying to relive the glory days of high school, even though he's like, I don't know, 40 or something like that. This guy is frozen in time. He has not moved on. He is completely defined by his identity from over 20 years ago. Who we were is an important thing, and that informs who we are. But at some point, we have to acknowledge the past and grow into the people we are becoming. And I might say that that is probably the most in-depth unpacking that of Uncle Rico that has ever been it's done. It's a good case study. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, acknowledging the way that our past influences us helps, I think, prevent us from becoming like Uncle Rico. Mm-hmm. It's the perspective and awareness that actually helps us move forward and, and learn new things. It's a lot like the idea of bias. You know, when we acknowledge our biases, we can give ourselves ways of responding slower and not immediately or irrationally acting on kind of the things around us. Um, and we can keep our impulses in check a little better and move forward. Yeah. You know, so there's this thing called spiral dynamics. It's integral theory developed by sociologists, psychologists, and anthropologists. And we've talked about this on the show before. But it names levels of consciousness for humans, the most basic lowest level is called archaic consciousness. And that person's just trying to survive. You can think of like living in a war zone or homelessness or drug addiction. And as you move up the ladder in a way, you learn about different levels like magical and traditional consciousness. You'll hear about modern consciousness. This is rational, scientific, and numbers driven. The list goes on. But eventually you get to integrated consciousness. And that's a higher level, and it has the understanding that all of these stages exist in one person, and there's an interest in meeting people and supporting them wherever they're at. 
at this integrated level, there's an understanding that we transcend and include. And that idea has been so important to me, transcend and include. We might move to the next level of consciousness, but the insights, understandings of the previous level, it's still a part of us. Think about puberty. Dave is still Dave at 10 and at age 30, but I'm the same but completely different. I've transcended and included. I've moved into a new thing, a new time in life. And that's important as we think about our roots and where we come from. We honor those places. We honor where we come from. And we can move beyond these things. They are still very much a part of our lives and our stories, but we've moved to the next place. Yeah, in our experiences in the world around us, really, they're always changing. And there are times where each of the levels of spiral dynamics they make sense in mm-hmm. some way. So I think the danger is not so much, you know, where we are on the spectrum. It's it's if we become static, it's if we're not moving. And when I think about our traditions, there's a difference between blindly accepting a tradition and being rooted to grow. I've been a part of church circles where we have chafed at the idea of tradition. We want to do things in new ways, not be saddled by archaic traditions. And I get that. But I think it's important to differentiate between tradition and traditionalism. And I think we've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. There is a theologian by the name of Yaroslav Pelikan who famously said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. If we make an idol about what was done before, it can become a caricature and become not very helpful at all. If we use what was done as an example, as a sparring partner, as a springboard, then the faith and life of those who came before us lives and sings in new ways. Yeah, I really like that quote. And every time I hear it, I think about how active tradition can actually be. I mean, yeah. that's not the expectation, but it, it really can be a very active thing. It's a completely alive uh, enterprise. Yeah. And and so when I think about that too, uh, you know, my wife and I have been married for almost six years. And when we first got married and it came to that later part of the year, you know, the holidays, we had to figure out what we we're going to do for Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. Christmas and, you know, where we we're going to travel, all those sorts of things. And the first few years we spent a lot of time visiting both of our families. And it was just a ton of driving and travel and just lots of time to get to see everybody. Um, And I think part of that, it happened because we sort of just picked our traditions because we'd always done them. Yeah. Um, You know, we'd always traveled to visit our families. So we both then just traveled to visit our families. That's just how it works. Um, And fast forward to last fall and we did something a little different. We decided for Thanksgiving, we were just going to spend it, the two of us, we were going to hang out at home all day. We're going to do our own thing. Um, and so when it came time to make that change, and I don't know if we'll do it forever, but, you know, for this last year, at least, you know, we had to ask some questions. Um, what traditions or practices did we want to carry on together? Um, which ones were important? Why were they important? Um, we, had, we had to ask, like, what do we want to accomplish as a family, even just as the two of us? Mm-hmm. What, is, what does that mean for us? Um, and so we ended up, you know, picking out a few things from our family celebrations that we wanted to do and smashed it together and we enjoyed our own kind of unique version of the holiday. But I think you had to ask those questions to figure out the new thing. Absolutely. You know, a lot of traditions are rooted in pretty nuts and bolts practicality. You know, I think about my dad was a pastor and worked at a church every Christmas Eve. So our Christmas Eve meals at home, it was a buffet of hors d'oeuvres and other food that we could enjoy, but eat fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely delicious. Loved it. And uh, it became our tradition. Well, you fast forward to today, We don't have the same restrictions anymore. We have all night and we can have whatever we want. But it took us a while to adapt to say, you know what? 
don't have to do it that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't think through the situation, it didn't change until recently. Yeah. The point for me is that sometimes the reasons for things uh, make sense at one time and they no longer apply. The function of a tradition doesn't serve what it once did. Yeah, so much of our traditions and the parts of our stories that can remain meaningful and helpful, I think it has to do with, ask again, being intentional, mm-hmm. asking those questions. Um, I'm a little bit of a nerd and I spend a lot of time thinking about design and how good design changes the way we interact with something. Um, and it makes me think about one of my favorite documentaries um, called Objectified, and it's all about design and material objects and how they work. Um, about halfway through the film, there's a designer, and he asks what I think is a really important question. He says, why do we feel like we need to keep revisiting the archetype over and over again? Digital cameras, for example, are modeled off of the original silver ca- silver film camera. It's the film that defined the shape of the camera. All of a sudden, our digital cameras have no film, so why on earth do we have the same shape? Yeah, you know, and sometimes our traditions are exactly like this, right? We keep mm-hmm. revisiting the same ritual or pattern over and over and over again. We have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the things we have done lose their meaning or their importance, and it becomes more like traditionalism than a thing that is either filled with meaning or helps us discover that meaning. Exactly. It's really easy to do something because it's the way we've always done it. Sure. But it is important to keep asking those good questions. Um, makes me think about another one from that from that documentary. Um one that I think actually we can very readily apply to each of our traditions and even our whole stories of where we come from. Um, That same designer, he says, how can I put my fingerprint on it and differentiate it from everyone else in a way? Am I playing a game to show that I can differentiate or am I actually doing something that is contributive? Are the things that we are doing really making an effect and making change? And so when it comes to a thing like tradition, it's really easy to set it aside and say it's not worth much. In the, in, in the words of the documentary, it's really easy to differentiate to show that we can to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. play a game. But sometimes that archetype or that tradition can inspire something new that we didn't see before. Um, something different, certainly, but something that grows out of what used to be. And we can take our stories and add to them in ways that really have an effect and actually make that positive change. And the key is to be purposeful if you change. Don't just disregard the good stuff that tradition and wisdom of the past have have to offer. Mm -hmm. And I know this is absolutely, it's completely loaded, but let's talk about this idea of draining the swamp. Oh, you went there. Oh, I just did. (laughs) Do you see that? (laughs) I'm not trying to be political actually in any sense, but think about it. Just because things aren't perfect, does that mean that everyone and every idea in the system is no good? Mm. With regard to politics, I think the idea of draining the swamp sounds good in campaign rhetoric. I think it works well if you if you want to put all of your own people in positions of power. I think it even has staying powers to cover up your mistakes. You know, if something goes wrong, just blame it on the nameless, faceless, <laughs> evil, swamp-dwelling people. But there are a lot of people in political and social s- systems who keep us moving forward, who hold institutional memory, who dedicate countless hours of public public service, working for the common good. They've been doing it for years. Do we get rid of them too? Do we, and by the way, I, I, I hate this analogy, do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? I think the work of many of our public servants keeps us grounded, rooted in the best of what our country is. Now, draining the swamp, be it politically, socially, theologically, in your personal or work life, it has consequences. And this action 
should be taken with care. Yeah, and it's easy to react impulsively instead of with care, especially with something as heated as politics. You know, the thing is that when we look at large traditions, systems, organizations that might need some change, it can be really challenging to see outside of our own perspectives and bring new intentional meaning to what's in front of us. And sometimes when we can't see a path forward, we get scared or we get stuck. Yeah. And, and the thing I understand about spiral dynamics is that people look at levels of consciousness that are behind them with disdain and they look forward with fear. It's easy to get stuck, paralyzed with fear and, and confusion wherever you're at. But the invitation is always to move forward, to transcend and include. And there's lots of ways to do that. I think we have lots of tools at our disposal to get unstuck and keep ourselves from being static. Um, I think it it has to begin with a posture of openness. You know, we have to be willing mm-hmm. to grow and we have to be willing to learn. But I think once we've taken that invitation, we can learn new things. We can be ourselves rooted in our own stories and traditions, but we can live somewhere in the middle of it all. Yeah. Um, one of the places that we're often stuck, you know, we've talked about a little bit, but in our religious traditions, and one of the tools in bringing new meaning can be looking at other worldviews that actually help us make sense of our own. Um, as I've gotten or- older, you know, had new experiences, learned new, new things, my beliefs have changed. You know, we expect change in a lot of places again. And I, I think that we should come to expect that impact in our religious traditions as well. Thinking about where I've seen that, you know, I've looked, I've looked at poetry, uh, helps give new language, I think, to the way that we can understand God. Uh, things like music or meditation, all of these sorts of tools can help us get unstuck. And that actually reminds me, uh, we were going to be talking with Richard, Father Richard Rohr in, when we get to Albuquerque, as we were talking about before. And I've heard him say, if it's true in one place, well, then it's true everywhere. In other words, if you are finding truth in poetry or in a sculpture or a children's book or in meditation, well, then it's true. As artists and scientists and theologians and just as human beings, we're all searching for truth. And when we find it, we need to name it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We can find this stuff in all sorts of places. But for me, the other part of this and, and thinking about where we come from, being rooted in a tradition isn't a comment on exclusivity or even believing that I'm right about something. I think there's there's plenty of room to learn, but sometimes it's that depth of our own story that can open mm-hmm. up new possibilities, whether it's digging back into um, our family history or digging back into our religious history. There's all sorts of places that this can, op- can open up. The religious narrative is, is often that there's not room for us to be part of the same community if we don't see things the same but I just, I don't think that's true. The reality of our religious traditions is that they have room for lots of uncertainty and lots of different beliefs. Um, you know, we were talking about a little bit in the last episode, we were talking about Celtic spirituality, yeah. um, a whole kind of subset of Christianity that is different from maybe the one that I've learned and practiced, but in some ways is still part of that bigger umbrella. Um, and as we go grow and learn and we explore these different things, I think the question might be, how do we know if this is helpful? But I don't know if we can figure that out except by trying it and living it out. Mm -hmm. How do we discover anything if we don't have room to fail? How do we explore truth if we don't stumble along in our attempt to uncover it? If we're afraid to fail, then then we're paralyzed in our searching. I think about about it like this. If there's enough room to be wrong, then there's enough room to grow. Mm -hmm. And to this end, failure is fascinating because we can be firmly rooted where we are and dare to fail. And being willing to fail uh, in a lot of ways for me is about practice. If you if, say you pick up a new instrument to learn and you give up when you're not good at it three weeks in, you're not going to get good at it. You're suddenly mm-hmm. not going to have the skills. If you at first picked up a guitar, but then you get frustrated and you move on to the cello, 
you're not suddenly going to have the skills to play the new instrument. You're going to have to right. take some time to learn and develop as well. So you have to go a bit deeper. You have to kind of stretch through and beyond that frustration in order to become a, a more skilled musician. And I think the same is true of faith traditions. If you toss out one in favor of another too quickly, you might miss the depth that either one of them has to offer. But if you continue to search the depths of a tradition for insight, you might find others who've shared a frustration or a question. You might find friends to travel with as you continue to learn and grow. So we can't be content with a week's worth of skills on an instrument if we want to be an accomplished musician. And while they may be helpful for a time, we shouldn't be content with our first set of answers as people of faith. I've presided at a lot of weddings over the years. And the way it usually works is that the person who is leading the ceremony spends the whole time looking at the couple and looking at everyone else who is sitting there in the seats. The couple, on the other hand, they just look at me or they look at each other. But I really think that they need to see all of those people. All those people are the guests. They are the ones who traveled, got a hotel, dressed up for the occasion. Some of them even changed the groom's diapers back in the day. And in my mind, the bride and groom have to look at these people too. Now, a lot of times when I'm leading a wedding ceremony, I will have the couples turn and look at the crowd. I will often say to the bride and groom that those people are the deep, rich soil where you were nurtured. They are the ground in which you will grow. They represent the place where your roots took hold. But now you are growing into something new. Keep in mind the whole time I'm very aware that they may be turning and looking at people who represent some pain, troubled family dynamics, and other junk, while others out there will represent grace and joy and love. Sometimes we grow in spite of the soil, and sometimes we grow because of it. But we will absolutely grow and move forward. Don't let the pain define you. Use the good stuff as fuel for the journey. We grow, we evolve, we transcend and include. We become a new creation. So as we close out this episode, I just want to give you a quote to reflect on, and it's this. It's from T.S. Eliot. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. To stay up to date with all of the things going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes and join in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there's always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox. 